Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape, and reform ongoing narratives. So when we envisage an image of Christmas, it's usually an idealized viewpoint, which brings a host of concepts and thoughts to the forefront of our mind. For example, Christmas decorations are an automatic expectation for households or public spaces. And we're also reminded of hymns which spread messages of peace, goodwill and joy. It could be carol singing accompanied by hot drinks spiced up with cinnamon and nutmeg. Or perhaps the traditional meaning of Christmas about the infant Jesus, the wise men following a bright star in the night sky. Or possibly the more modern version where decorations go up, parties are being planned, the presents are being bought, festive jumpers are being knitted, last minute shopping sprees and the inevitable feasting and excess drinking. Whichever version people adopt, very soon people around the world will again be celebrating Christmas, which means taking part in traditions that stretch back thousands of years, long before Christianity entered the equation. But let's ask ourselves, was this always the way Christmas was celebrated? What can the past teach us about how and where our Christmas traditions originated? Were they a consequence of early church leaders amalgamating nativity celebrations with pre-existing midwinter festivals. And by entertaining such questions, it helps us appreciate the significance behind each pagan or non-Christian tradition during this unique holiday event. And for most people, Christmas is a holiday deeply rooted in Christianity, but it's also been celebrated for more than two millennia. So it's fair to say that the festival we celebrate today has changed considerably over time due to influence from various cultures and religions, thus arriving at its current state, the way we see it today, a little more than a century later. And in today's episode, we'll examine the following areas, the early Roman influence on Christmas, how an ancient nativity celebration was reborn, how the North American tradition of heavily commercialized Christmas was established, the origins of many Christmas traditions as we know them today. And then in the final section, we'll explore how Christmas has developed into a festival of cultural consumerism. And we reflect on how materialism and commercialization have changed the essence of Christmas due to a process, a gradual process of Americanization of the past century. But first, let's begin with Christmas is origins and meanings. The origins of Christmas stretch back thousands of years to prehistoric celebrations around the midwinter solstice. And many of the traditions we uphold today have been shaped by centuries of changing beliefs, politics, technology, and ongoing commerce. The earliest history of Christmas is composed of pagan or non-Christian practices which predate Jesus by several centuries. 
And most of the traditions we associate with Christmas are actually not Christian at all, including decorating Christmas trees and giving gifts. And more than any other religious holiday, Christmas is associated with the name of Christ. For instance, the word Christmas is, a, is short for Christ's Mass, instituted by the Catholic Church and also continued by many Protestant churches. And all the date is a guess, a tradition of observing it goes back to at least the 4th century. It was through the church that Christian traditions replaced pagan solstice festivals throughout Europe or were carried over into Christmas observance and given new meaning, such as bringing in a Yule log or decorating with holly. Christmas is a Christian feast celebrating the birth of Jesus. And although there is no historical account to prove the exact day of his birth, the Christian church began celebrating the Feast of Nativity on December the 25th from the 4th century onward by the Western Church and from the 5th century onwards by the Eastern Church. And during the 1st century of Christianity, there was initial opposition to recognizing the birthday of Jesus or that of martyrs due to links with paganism. The early Christian community distinguished between the date of Jesus' birth and the liturgical celebration of the event. The date December the 25th was first identified by Julius Africanus in 221 AD, a Roman Christian historian, and later became the universally accepted date. And one widespread explanation of the origin of, of this date is that December 25th was the Christianizing of De Solis Invicti Nati, which is Latin for Day of the Birth of the Unconquered Son. It was a popular holiday in the Roman Empire, celebrating the winter solstice as a symbol of the sun's resurgence. In other words, doing away with winter and heralding the rebirth of spring and summer. And it's interesting to note that Christian writers frequently made the connection between the rebirth of the sun, S-U-N, and the birth of the sun, S-O-N. Historians have dated the first celebration of Christmas to 336 AD when the Roman Emperor Constantine I made Christianity the official religion of the empire. Later in 340 AD, Pope Julius I established the birthday of Jesus as 25th December. But despite its Christian origin, the celebration was always associated with end-of-year pagan traditions, mainly because midwinter has been honoured for much longer than Christ's birth. So in the next section, we'll begin our review on the early Roman influence on Christmas. As Christianity spread throughout Europe in the first centuries AD, it incorporated much from Roman culture while encountering a variety of pagan people with distinct religious and communal beliefs. The early Christians were keen to attract more pagans into their religion but equally they, they were also fascinated by their traditions. Over time they assimilated the pagans using festivals such as Saturnalia to convert them to Christianity. The Romans celebrated midwinter with several days of feasting and partying through the festival of Saturnalia which was held between December the 17th and the 25th. And as the central holiday of ancient Rome, its aim was to honour Saturn, chief of the Roman gods. The festival was also a time when all the usual rules about rank and etiquette were overturned. 
public feasts were followed by celebrations at home and people exchanged small gifts, especially sigillaria, which were small figures made of wax or pottery. And the week-long celebration included playing of games, gifts from the wealthy to the poor to honor the age of liberty when Saturn ruled the world. And unfortunately, it also involved quite a lot of debauchery too. During the week-long celebration, Roman courts were closed and, and no one could be punished for damaging property or injuring people. And there were many unspeakable events which occurred during this, this period. So, hence, by cleverly linking the end of the festival day, December 25th, with the birth of Jesus, it created a neat crossover from paganism to Christianity. And another tr interesting tradition was the pagan custom of wassailing, or singing from door to door. And while the f wealthy feasted, the poor went from door to door in local communities where people would offer them food. And, and this is almost certainly the origin of carol singing uh, as we know it today. And interestingly, these accounts of Midwinter Festival raise an obvious but important question. Why was so much attention given to Midwinter celebrations? According to historians, Midwinter is a natural time for feasting. Pagan society was mainly agricultural during this period. And once the harvest was complete, it was the perfect opportunity to devote time to one's religious life. But more importantly, though, it was a period when everyone needed cheering up because of limited daylight hours. And this meant the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, was perfect for feasting in order to repel feelings of cold and isolation and individual depression. So in the next section... This relates to the influence of sun worship on, on Christmas and how the ancient nativity celebration was reborn. So it was British anthropologist and scholar Sir James Fraser who wrote a classic work on ancient religious practice in 1880 entitled The Golden Bough. He argued that Christmas customs originated from the ancient Mithraic religion or the worth, worship of Mithra, the Persian sun god which was very popular in the Roman Empire. And it proved to be a major rival to Christianity by combining ritual practices with aspirations for immortality. One aspect of this ancient practice was preserved in the festival of Christmas because the winter solstice fell on the 25th of December. And as the days became longer, the power of the sun increased. And this ritual eventually over time became known as the nativity of the sun and it was also celebrated by the Syrians and the Egyptians and the Egyptians actually represented the newborn sun by the image of an infant Mithra which they exhibited to worshippers on the winter solstice and Mithra was referred to by his worshippers as the unconquered sun and uh, spelt S-U-N, and hence his nativity fell on the 25th of December. So by studying ancient customs and practices, Fraser realized that Christmas was essentially a rebranding of the worship of the pagan god Mithra or Mithras, and then it was cleverly relabeled with a Christian name. 
So it appears that the Christian Church chose the 25th of December purposely to transfer pagan devotion to sun worship, which was then renamed as a popular Christian celebration. And despite the fact that Christ and various saints gradually replaced the pagan deities, the ancient festivals of Saturnalia and sun worship were already far too entrenched in popular favour to be abolished. And the Catholic Church finally granted the necessary recognition to incorporate them into the newer traditions. And Christmas began to be widely celebrated in the 9th century, but did not attain the liturgical importance of either Good Friday or Easter, which are the other two main Christian holidays. And it's also interesting to know that Christmas was attacked for its pagan associations and practices. The undisguised pagan element in Christmas has often provoked criticism from extreme Protestants, but the festival wasn't really affected until the Puritans came to power in England in the 17th century under Oliver Cromwell. And this anti-Christmas sentiment soon spread to Puritan territories in North America. So at this point, let's focus on how the North American tradition was established. When the North American continent was colonized by English settlers, they brought with them their own Christian customs and traditions and religious beliefs. And these were mixed with existing pagan traditions. And in the 17th and 18th centuries, the Christian, the Christmas celebration faced much opposition in England and by American settlers, in particular, the Puritans, the Presbyterians, the Methodists and the Quakers. And at this time, the Puritans disagreed with the way the feast was carried out because, according to them, it had lost its Christian meaning and all focus was purely on rituals and festivities. But it's only from the mid-19th century that the tradition of Christmas established itself in the U.S. And from this point, certain attributes of modern Christmas began to coalesce into a more homogenized version. And also celebration in the family emerged as a new tradition, which wasn't done before, with the ritual of exchanging gifts as social bonds, as opposed to a process of commodification as we understand it today in the more modern version. And with further socioeconomic changes, the the ritual of exchanging gifts among friends, relatives and neighbours had been firmly established in the US by the end of the 19th century. And since the early 20th century, the celebration of Christmas has focused heavily on the pivotal role of a mythical figure named Santa Claus, whom we will discuss in the next section. But overall, what we can safely establish is that Christmas and the date we understand it as December the 25th is not actually when Jesus was born, because the New Testament provides no confirmed date of this. Clearly, though, the reference in the Bible show it it most likely did not take place in winter because this was the day that the Romans historically celebrated the winter solstice. So in the next section, Nafsi will begin her piece on the origins of Christmas traditions. Thank you, Narvem. I'd like to begin with the origins of various Christmas traditions that we follow. Firstly, St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. 
Now, St. Nicholas is the basis for the popular character of Santa Claus. He was born around 280 AD in uh, Petara, Lycia, an area which forms part of present-day Turkey. He was imprisoned for his faith and then released by the Emperor Constantine. He later served as a bishop, as the Bishop of Myra, a city that is now called Demer. The myth that becomes Santa Claus is based on his rec- on his secret gift of coins given in shoes, as well as the miracles, miracle stories where Nicholas helped the very poor and needy. He also reportedly saved three men who were falsely imprisoned and sentenced to death. After his death, the stories of his miracles and work for the destitute spread to other parts of the world. Saint Nicholas remained a popular saint throughout Europe and became known as the protector of children. In Holland, the feast day of Saint Nicholas continues to be celebrated on December the 6th and it was Dutch immigrants who brought the legend of Saint Nicholas known to them as Saint Nicholas or by his nickname Sinter Class to America in the ni- in the 1700s. Now Saint Nicholas went through many transformations in America. Santa Claus became Santa Claus and instead of giving gifts on December 6th he became a part of the Christmas holiday. The cartoonist Thomas Nast added to the Saint Nicholas legend with an 1881 drawing of Santa Claus wearing a red suit with white fur trim. This is how a kind charitable bishop Saint Nicholas became the Santa Claus we celebrate today. The tradition of cutting down trees. The Christmas tree has its origins in Germany during the 700s during St. Boniface, who was a well-known bishop. St. Boniface cut down an oak tree to prevent the sacrifice of a human child to the god of thunder, Thor, but also proved the superiority of Christianity over paganism by breaking, by breaking Thor's hammer with his staff. And so the Germans began a new tradition that night, one that stretches to the present day. By bringing a fur into their homes, decorating it with candles and ornaments and celebrating the birth of a savior. It was Saint Boniface, the apostle of Germany, that gave us what we today know as the Christmas tree. But it clearly derives from the pagan practice of bringing green green doors to decorate, to decorate in midwinter. The, the manger scene. In 1223, Francis Assisi visited the town of Grezio and be, because the church appeared too small for the Christmas mass, Francis decided to hold the service further down the street. In an effort to make the mass stand out in the minds of his congregation, he found an, a manger, an ox and a donkey, which became the starting point for the use of manger scenes as an exhibit for Christmas. The Magi. The three kings, Magi or wise men, probably came later after the birth of Jesus to present their gifts because Joseph receives his dream to flee after the wise men had left. Matthew 2.1 tells us that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. It is it in the ni- in the 1400s that the church adopts the names of the Magi. 
Belchior from Persia, Caspar from India, and Balthazar from Babylon. The, and the significance of the gifts refers to gold, which re represents a king, mare representing mortality, and incense representing godliness. The Yule Log. The Germanic people contributed to Christmas with Yule, a festival loosely based around the Norse god Odin on a winter hunt. Now, during the season of 12 days, a Yule log is slowly fed to the fire, gifts are given, and food is shared. The festival date backs to the 1400s, but is probably much older, and many passing references to Christmas still remain with us, which are chestnuts roasting on an open fire pit, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, Yuletide carols being sung by a koi. As the Western world became Christianized and the Germanic tribes unified, Yuletide was exchanged for Christmastide, and it's possible our sense of Christmas lights and the warmth it brings is rooted in this communal activity. The term Merry Christmas. Now, the term Merry Christmas draws reference to both Charles Dickens and Washington Ivan, who were prominent writers from the 19th century, and both of whom reshaped the festival of Christmas during the Victorian era up to the present day. Dickens, A Christmas Carol, contained many underlying themes, including a lesson against greed, hope, and redemption. The searching efforts of isolation and the importance of love and compassion Many people will be less familiar with Washington Ivan, known for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. However, his essay fashions the story of Saint Nick, and he talks about singing carols and even include the greeting Merry Christmas, which all came from his observations made in England. He even explained the use of a mistletoe, and this is what he says. The mistletoe is still hung up in farmhouses and kitchens at Christmas, and the young men have the privilege of kissing the girls under it, plucking each time a berry from the bush. When the berries are plucked, the privileges cease. And all his observations come from his time spent in England. The very important Santa Claus. When the Protestant Reforma Reformation began, in the 1500s, saints like Nicholas fell out of favor across much of Northern Europe because religious icons were shunned. However, as we described earlier in the episode, popular elements of paganism proved stubbornly difficult to relinquish, especially a beloved, a beloved saint who bought gifts and miracles to children and families across Europe. The Dutch bought Sinterklaas to the New World Colonies, where the legends of scary Germanic gift bringers endured. However, in the 17th century, North America, Christmas was a different affair to the modern holiday. The holiday was shunned in New England and elsewhere, and it began to resemble the pagan Saturnalia and was celebrated as a crude, rather noisy, alcohol-fueled community gathering. And there were certainly no, no magical gift bringers. This all changed during the early decades of the 19th century due to a series of poets and writers who strove to make Christmas a family celebration by reviving and rebranding St. Nicholas. In 1809, Washington Ivins' book, Nick Box's History of New York, first portrayed a pipe-smoking Nicholas, St. Nicholas soaring over the rooftops 
in a flying wagon delivering presents to good boys and girls. In 1821, an anonymous illustrated poem entitled The Children's Friend went further in reshaping the modern Santa and associating him with Christmas. This is where Santa Claus finally makes his appearance by combining the magical gift-bringing of St. Nicholas and now dressed in the furs of the original Germanic gift-bringers. In 1822, Clement Clark Moore wrote A Visit from St. Nicholas, better known today as The Night Before Christmas for His Six Children. It was published anonymously the next year, and to this day, the plump, jolly Santa described therein rides a sleigh driven by eight familiar reindeers. It was later in the 19th century that the image of Santa became standardized as a full-size adult dressed in red and white fur trim, venturing out to the North Pole in a reindeer-driven sleigh and keeping an eye on children's behaviors. The jolly, chubby, grandfatherly face of this Santa was largely created by Thomas Nast, an eminent political cartoonist. Santa Claus was later popularized by Coca-Cola's advert campaign first generated in 1931. And in the ad, Moore's image of Santa was used. However, Coca-Cola replaced Santa's pipe with a bottle of Coke and the ad was then marked heavily to consumers. Hence, Santa Claus, a very recent Christmas tradition, and even more recent is uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which first appeared in 1939, booklet written by Robert L. May and published by Montgomery Ward, the departmental store with the clear aim of commercializing Christmas, which has rapidly become a hallmark of the modern version of the festival. Yet in direct contrast, the consumerism of Christmas shopping appears to contradict the religious goals of celebrating Christ's birth. And similarly, excessive spending is the modern equivalent of the revelry and the drunkenness that comprise Saturaria and later made the Puritans frown. So uh, this is all uh, we have time for in the first uh, section. Uh, Much more to come in the next segment. See you shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. Great to have your company. Now, coming back to what we were discussing in the last segment, last segment we, I will be talking about other well-known Christmas traditions like Christmas greenery. Decorating our homes with greenery is a Christmas tradition ingrained in our national consciousness. The Christmas tree, of course, the the most well-known, but equally important is the other wreaths, holly and the mistletoe. Throughout history, decorations in the festival season have focused strongly on the use of evergreens. By the late Middle Ages, almost all surviving churches recorded entries for the purchase of holly and ivy in winter. For Christians, evergreen symbolized eternal life and the promise of the return of life in spring. We know that private homes would also have been dressed in greenery at that time of year. The carol, Deck the Halls with Boughs of Holly, originated in Wales in the 16th century, showing the continued use of holly within Christmas decorations. Other carols of this period also mention ivy and holly as decorations. Wreaths. In ancient Rome, wreaths were used to reward for military success and excellence. Wreaths were made of laurel or olive branches and were used to crown winners of the Olympic Games. Kalends, the New Year festival celebrated by the Romans, included the exchange of wreaths, garlands, and other small tokens. It, it is believed that the Advent wreath used by Lutherans in Germany in the 16th century, the, and the first record of the custom is from 1833 when a clergyman lit a candle in a wreath every Sunday while narrating the nativity story. And this custom spread to homes and churches and is still continues today. During the 19th century, wreaths were made to hang on the front doors. And these wreaths were also known as welcome rings and usually consisted of holly, ivy, pine cones, and ribbons. The kissing bows. Kissing bows are Christmas decorations consisting of two or four crossed hoops forming a shape, a spherical shape, and are often hung on walls or doorways as a gesture of goodwill to welcome gifts um, guests into your house or home. And they were very popular as Christmas decoration during the Tudor period. In the Georgian period, kissing kissing bows were more elaborate, included greenery, you know, they were decorated with apples and oranges, colored ribbons, paper roses, and other brightly colored ornaments. Most importantly, the Christmas tree. Several of the traditions we know and love today are rooted in Germanic heritage, thanks to Queen Victoria's husband and consort, Prince Albert. 
The prince who moved to England to marry the queen introduced many of his childhood traditions to his adopted country. Prince Albert is credited with introducing the Christmas tree to England in 1840. Christmas trees became very popular with the upper class and especially for the children's gathering. And they were usually candlelit, decorated with trinkets and surrounded by piles of presents. Hence the custom of setting up such trees in homes caught on amongst the general public in England. Since 1947, every year, Norway has given a large Christmas tree to Great Britain, which is displayed in Trafalgar Square, London. It represents a token of gratitude of the people of London for the assistance during the Second World War as Norway was occupied by Germany. Now, this concludes my piece. I will now hand over to Nav M, who will talk about how Christmas has become the festival of cultural consumerism. Thank you, Navsi. So in the final part of this episode, we suggest that Christmas occupies a less significant role in people's life than before in previous generations. And this is mainly due to a, a displacement effect at community level based on an uh, Americanized global commercialization. And this is something we'll explain uh, later on in the episode. But what we observe is that the celebration of Christmas represents a paradox in itself because of its status as a prominent religious holiday in the Christian world. But at the same time, it represents one of the most profitable occasions for the commercial sector to flourish. Incidentally, the celebration of Christmas is equally integral to the non-Christian world due to the influence of American economic interests, which are closely tied to the popular brand that is known as Santa Claus. So in the next section, we examine the fundamental conflict between Christmas as a religious festival and this being offset against the idea that it's now become a celebration corrupted by commercialization. And the key, key questions we in, intend to address are what are the arguments which point to a mounting case of materialism in association with Christmas? And what examples can we provide of Christmas as a, a vehicle for cultural consumerism? And does this lead us to believe that there has been a destruction of the nostalgic view of the spirit of Christmas? So let's begin with some brief insights. Many of us have been brought up to believe that Christmas is the season of giving. And as a famous Christmas carol suggests, it is the season to be jolly. But our observations point to something else entirely, which is that prior to the official arrival of the Christmas season in the weeks before, streets are filled with Christmas decorations, carols can be heard in department stores, shopping malls, and the television and internet are crammed with advertisements and sales promotions. And what we see is, according to data from the National Retail Federation, is that holiday sales for 2020 are expected to increase by 36 to 5.2% year on year compared to 2019. The figures for 2019 were 729 billion US dollars. Overall holiday sales in November and December average around 20% of annual retail sales over the past five years. But the figure can be much higher because certain retailers make 35 to 40% of their gross annual sales during the entire holiday period. 
But essentially what we see is a gradual step up in activity as the commercial season begins in earnest with Halloween. And then it, it develops slowly towards Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And, and then there's a, a, a mass uh, spree of spending during the entire Christmas season. So the question which now arises are what is the underlying thread of the Christmas season? What is the nature of the much vaunted spirit of Christmas? And why is this holiday so popular throughout North America and Europe? To answer these questions, we'll be examining various themes. The first one is Christmas and the family. One of the most important reasons that many people celebrate Christmas is the reaffirmation of personal ties. Christmas creates a, a certain solidarity amongst family members as they come together to celebrate. Therefore, Christmas is seen as an emotional expression of people's feelings to one another. And these feelings are enhanced and reaffirmed through the act of gift giving. The importance of Christmas to the home is also evident because it's the one day in the year when almost everything from shops, offices and recreational facilities are closed. And this, again, this, this indicates the centrality of the home and the family during Christmas and the ties of emotional affection. But this raises a very uncomfortable question. If Christmas is supposed to represent love, happiness and family, then why does it cost so much to celebrate the season? Because we know that in reality, it doesn't actually cost much to celebrate with family and friends. But the truth is that Christmas has become transformed. It's become ritualized and valued on a monetary basis. It's filled with expectations, all of which are influenced by mass Americanized consumer culture based on three main areas, online and in-store advertisements and commercialization, mass shopping and spending, and the increased revenue to boost the American economy. The act of gift giving has become a means of conveying affection towards one another and mass consumer industries have been very quick to take advantage of this. Product services are targeted towards the family environment. Food and drink products, for instance, are advertised as the ultimate way to bond during the festive season. For example, the large turkey on the table is seen as the enduring symbol of family togetherness. So how does this concept of family relate to early Christian tradition? Well, interestingly, this interpretation of Christmas with its abiding image of the centrality of family permeating all celebrations is actually another invention of tradition. Of tradition. Firstly, there is very little focus on family celebration in the original Gospels to which so much emphasis is given. And what we actually see is the late emergence of a trend which focuses heavily on the relationship between giver and receiver. Secondly, there's, there's nothing in the Roman precedence to suggest that the notion of family devotion towards the birth of a child or children in a nuclear setting, nor is there any suggestion that the relationships of, of the nuclear family are the focus of any of the Roman festivals which preceded Christmas. So what we see is a gradual shift in focus towards the family and more specifically children. And this has been seen in the last 100 or 150 years through the rise of technology. And this idealization of the family through powerful sentimentality has become an ongoing theme since the early 19th century. And it plays a crucial role in manipulating the family sphere of influence. 
The next major theme that we focus on is Christmas and ritualism. The the sorry the uh, Christmas and materialism. So the ritual of giving and the role of Christmas as a key driver of commercialization is closely related to cultural shifts in society and prominent factors include the rise of mass consumerism, the bias towards materialism, which is the preoccupation with material wealth and the shift from an industrialized world to a globalized society. And some of these trends can be traced back to the rise and growth of department stores going back to the 1870s in, in American society. And a lot of these were small retail established establishments and, and they became huge department stores, which became the giants of modern retail during the interwar period, but most notably during the post-war period. And as they dominated the skylines of urban America, they were instrumental in promoting consumer culture. Scholars such as Lee Eric Schmidt have stated that stores became a threat to churches because of their popularity, and they were considered the new cathedrals of urban America, places elected as new centers for celebration of the holiday. And it's argued that the modern version of Christmas can be described as cultural consum consumerism in its peak form due to the presence of online shopping, which is so popular today. Ironically, though, Christmas is labeled as a season of giving, but it resembles the season of spending because global consumers are incessantly buying in the name of Christmas. Perhaps this is why the commercial sector is considered to be one of the greatest promoters of Chris Christmas often much more so than, than churches themselves. And earlier we mentioned the rise of the monolithic department store, and this is an excellent introduction to our next major theme, which is the Americanization of Christmas. Social historians such as Russell Belk have gone further by stating that Christmas is much more than a feast based on abundance, prosperity and wealth. It becomes a celebration of consumption, materialism and hedonism. And he emphasizes that Santa Claus can now be considered, quote, a god of materialism and hedonism in modern consumer uh, culture. And that Christmas is nothing more than a postmodern spectacle whereby the celebration of Christmas has moved from churches to shopping malls and online shopping carts. So if Christmas is essentially a festival of gifts rather than a spiritual festival, then materialism has contributed heavily towards this. And if we assume that Christmas was once a festival of family togetherness, but its essence has been lost to materialism, then to search for root causes, we need to look no further than the Americanization of Christmas. Noteworthy examples include the influence of Coca-Cola on the iconography of Santa Claus, or how Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was actually devised as a highly successful marketing ploy by an ag uh, ad advertising executive in 1939. And we see the transformation of Santa Claus from a 4th century bishop saint to the present day marketing tool. And in this respect, the key elements of Santa's man, uh, metamorphosis began during the 19th century in the United States. And, and, and key insights here are Clement Moore's 1822 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, Thomas Nass's drawings of Santa Claus in Harper's Weekly, Sunblom's portraits of Santa Claus for 
Coca-Cola advertising in 1931. And over time, we see the development of the modern iconography associated with the reindeer, the red and white costume, and, and the North Pole. Perhaps the most interesting is Belk's use of analogy and reversal of the figure of Christ. So the way he argues it is similar to Jesus, Santa Claus is associated with miracles and, and prayers for gifts. But alternatively, Jesus comes from the Middle East. Santa Claus comes from the North Pole. Jesus is young and thin. Santa Claus is old and fat. Jesus is serious. Santa is jolly. Jesus is dressed in drab white. Santa in rich red furs. Jesus condemns materialism while Santa promotes toys and, and luxury. So these analogies are perfect examples of the contradiction between opposing definitions of the Christmas festival. And furthermore, as the holiday gained in popularity, the movie industry also exploited Christmas for profit. In particular, the movie Scrooge over the years has romanticized and promoted the season of giving. Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by three spirits to persuade him that giving is the true meaning of Christmas. And not only did this movie encourage Americans and Europeans to spend and buy gifts for the Christmas season, it's actually disapproving of those who do not give during this time of year. And in today's world, those who do not purchase gifts or believe in Christmas are damned as Scrooge, considered to be stingy, mean or cheap. Overall, another illustration of media manipulation, but due also in part to the influence and popularity of the of uh, Charles Dickens' successful book, A Christmas Carol. And this brings us to an interesting point and, and the next major theme that Christmas, whether knowingly or not, was a reinvention by the Victorians. One of the most effective instruments in this process was the writing of A Christmas Carol by Dickens. The redemption of Scrooge is a powerful message for any commercial entity to exploit because Christmas becomes a reverse process in which the spirit of Christmas converts monetary value back into human warmth and social wealth. Critical to this is the timing. The reinvention of Christmas by Dickens takes place at the height of Victorian power. And Dickens creates a Christmas whose prime objective is to promote a culture of newfound materialism through increased commercialization. The effect was to sanitize the grinding effects of poverty, which were prevalent during Victorian England, but not to be weighed down by social distraction of goods as commodities and wealth as merely money. The spirit of Christmas provided the answer not just for, for the Victorian period, but for the affluent society which came after it. And this contradiction of materialism was particularly useful for the landowning class and Christmas provided them with the opportunity to enjoy the benefits of their wealth while believing that they could still convert their monetary wealth back into social goodwill. And this idea of wealth reversal is present in our next major theme, the gift. And it's a contrast and it's contrast to a commodity. The commodity is often viewed as being removed from human relationships. So let's take one example. A bottle of wine for consumption is purchased through an exchange between buyer and seller. Yet by contrast, when it becomes a gift, it then establishes social contract. A cynic might argue that the gift is basically a debt between two individuals. 
a different viewpoint says that it's an exchange which highlights continuity in a relationship. But whichever view we take, very few people would make that connection between capitalism, the bottle of wine and commerce. Because what we see is the act of purchasing a gift separates the object as a token of commerce and it makes it a unique object that we now possess. Therefore, this is so unique in this process of commercialization because the gift negates the previous status as a commodity and removes any trace as a commercialized object because the gift is now imbued with qualities which simply cannot be tainted with any form of commercialization. The point being that gift-bearing legitimizes the process of commercialization. So the next major theme for analysis is prolonging the festival or the event. During the month of December in various cities across the world, what we observe is how public space is commandeered by Christmas in the form of decorations present in every street corner. Municipalities participate in Christmas parades, placing Christmas trees in government buildings and landmarks. And department stores play Christmas music over their speakers while shoppers are busy buying their presents. But let's pause for a moment and ask ourselves, why do so many people participate in such an active manner? Almost everyone partakes in the spirit of Christmas, either by making uh, purchases or decorating their homes with lights and ornaments. But from an alternative perspective, there are many more important days which could be earmarked for celebration. Examples include national days which commemorate independence, remembrance or Veterans Day in November, VE Day in, in May, and there are countless other examples depending on the country or tradition. And yet, despite this, there are no special songs or week-long celebrations to mark these events and those occasions in the same way that Christmas is. Indeed, there is no precedent for this, and the only viable, viable explanation is prolonging an event to maximize commercial value. So in the final theme for analysis, we explore the displacement of local traditions in favor of the global model. Earlier, we discussed how the modern version of Christmas was essentially a fusion of two separate historical foundations, one suggesting deep roots from Roman early Christian times, the other implying modern Christmas is a patchwork of ideas and traditions put together in the mid-19th century. And this amalgamation of different cultures is reflected in certain examples. It could be the Christmas tree from the German tradition, the filling of stockings from the Dutch tradition, the development of Santa Claus, mainly from the United States, or the British Christmas card. In fact, the latter version of Christmas represents a picture of heterogeneity being permeated with local tradition. However, in the mid-19th century, what we see is the removal of certain customs and the reinforcement of others selected for preservation. For example, mistletoe is enshrined with its ritual of kissing, while ivy, which is equally important in earlier traditions, becomes less significant. So the implications here are that once the disparate elements are woven into the modern festival, it becomes a, a stable tapestry, despite the significant change in popular culture. The main argument here is that Christmas has changed relatively little over the past one and a half centuries. So the main question which arises is, whether commercialization has overturned the idealized spirit of Christmas 
by the end of the 20th century, the Americanized version of the festival has grown out of all proportion. Simultaneously, there's been a demise of virtually all local festivals and comparable events. And it certainly raises uncomfortable questions as to how a tradition can endure for 1900 years and then suddenly stagnate in the period of almost 100 years and not only lose its essence but displace other traditions which were equally important. So let's wrap up with some final remarks. We began this episode with a brief discussion of the origins of Christmas in the 4th century which derived mainly from the Roman festival Saturnalia. We suggested that Christmas occupies a less significant role in people's lives than more than previously because individuals have been displaced from their local communities and festivals, while paradoxically Christmas becomes an Americanized global phenomenon or event. We also argue that Christmas has become detached from tradition due to inherent contradictions within the contemporary theme of Christmas. And there are three main points here. The first is the family relationship. In the present era, there exists family togetherness, but also family disputes. The second is how we reconcile our thoughts of global citizenry with the loss of our own local community. Christmas is a truly global festival, but this has been achieved through the notoriety of displacing local festivals. And thirdly, our, our flawed relationship with mass consumption and materialism. The, um, and we also compare this and offset this against the inevitable allure of materialism, but also the way we reject materialism. In stark contrast, Christmas has remained the one festival giving universal, which has been given universal backing and support, while smaller festivals have been displaced by this much-celebrated annual festival. Further, we see that Christmas has grown in global terms to be celebrated in many countries that are not Christian and which had no previous Christian tradition. And one of the enduring symbols of a commercialized Christmas is the overarching presence of its brand ambassador, Santa Claus. He's been referred to as the god of materialism due to the powerful links between the tradition of giving. He appears to be omnipresent because his image has been the most viable symbol of the entire festival. His origins and development reflect an ongoing struggle between religious and non-religious forces for the dominance of Christmas. But ultimately, it leads us to ask, has Western society actually moved on from the hedonistic era of worshipping gods during Saturnalia? Because it seems we have simply exchanged one deity in the form of Saturn for another deity called Santa. So many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. We really appreciated your company. And if there are any issues regarding today's episode, please email us at info at gmc-radio.com. Like, share and comment via social channels. Thank you for all your support during 2020. We will see you back in 2021 at the usual time, Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. And we'd like to take this opportunity to extend the season's greetings to all of our listeners. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everyone. See you next year. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. 
Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon. We'll see you soon.